uh, it is good to be with you. Um, uh, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, I guess it it was probably maybe maybe around Christmas time in December. Um, I started noticing uh, as I was watching television or driving that things were just a wee bit out of focus. And so, if you wear glasses or have ever been to the eye doctor, that probably looks familiar, doesn't it? You've been before, and when the doctor's like, better, worse, one, two, A, B, right? And you're looking through, and you're trying to get it just, just so. And uh, so what I realized was, uh, was that actually the prescription in my, I usually wear contact lenses, but my contacts, my glasses, the prescription had changed. And it hadn't changed a lot. In fact, oddly enough, my eyes had gotten better. But... It was just enough of a change that everything that was once perfectly in focus was just a little bit out of focus. But after a while, a little out of focus begins to have massive consequences, right? You can have headaches, you can't drive well, your TV's not as enjoyable. And I've been working through uh, the book of Exodus in my devotional time. And as I was, I was going through Exodus and, and just thinking about this that had happened, and I wonder in my spiritual life if sometimes my understanding of who God is becomes just a little bit out of focus. If, if sometimes the reality of who Jesus is in my life becomes just enough out of focus and I forget just enough about who God really is that it begins to impact the rest of my life. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity for you and I this morning just to kind of have a spiritual eye exam and just to make sure that maybe for you and I, um, maybe like me, um, you've drifted just a wee bit and God's not quite in focus like he once was in your heart. And I want us to see uh, how God wants to speak into that, particularly through the life of Moses. And so, yeah, if you, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1, and uh, could be a familiar passage for some of us. Um, Exodus chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1. And, uh, and this is what uh, the Word of God says. This is a true story, and it uh, happened to a man named Moses. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock uh, of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, well, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is alive and true. And Father, we pray, Lord, as we just spend time in your word this morning, we Humbly ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds, and that you would give us understanding of your word. We, we can't understand it without you, Spirit. We ask that you would soften our hearts, that, Lord, we would be changed by your word, that we wouldn't simply be hearers, but doers of your word. We pray, Lord, that maybe if you've become a bit out of focus in our life this morning, that, Lord, you would use your word, that we might clearly see you again, that we might love you and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we see Moses has this encounter with God. And, and just, to, just to kind of remind us of the context, um, the, the people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt. And at this point, they've been there almost 400 years, about 360 years. And so we know from the descriptions earlier in Exodus that the, the, the slave drivers were extremely harsh on the people of God. And so they've been there for 360 years, building the pyramids, doing whatever Pharaoh called them to do. Now, at that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the planet, and Pharaoh was as a god to the Egyptians. So you have the most powerful country on the planet, the most powerful man on the planet, and you now have Moses, a sheep herder for his father-in-law, Right? Uh, working in the family business. And God has called him and said, I want you to go to the most powerful country on earth, to the most powerful man on earth, and give them a message. And in that, I want you, Moses, to know who I am. And in Jesus, we learn these things. And so uh, four simple truths for us that I want us to write down this morning. Uh, number one is this. As followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God. As followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God. Do you believe we serve a powerful God? Yeah, amen. 
Uh, as followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God. Uh, look here at verses 2 and 3, and these will, these will be on the screen for us. He says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, and the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Right? So there's this bush that's on fire, but the leaves are still green. It's, it's not turning to ash. It's not consumed. And, and by the way, um, I, I love what Moses says. Y'all turn aside and go look at this great sight. Right? Like, I, I think I'll go check this out. That's something you don't see every day, right? That there's this bush, and it's on fire, and it's talking. Now, uh, share that with your colleagues tomorrow morning, right? Say, what would you do this weekend? Well, you know, the oddest thing happened. I was walking through uh, the lovely green fields of Gainesboro and uh, came across this bush and it started talking to me and it was on fire, but it didn't burn up. By the way, don't do that. Amen. It'd be a short day at work for you tomorrow. Right. Uh, Moses, this, this is not. Here's the point, guys. This isn't something that happens every day. This is an extraordinary miracle. Where God is revealing to Moses how powerful he is. That the supernatural abilities that our God has. And this is all going to unfold over and over and over again in the life of Moses. Where he's going to see God do the miraculous. I mean the parting of the Red Sea and, and, and everything. All the plagues of Egypt. He is going to see God do the miraculous. And all along the way he is going to remind Moses... I am a powerful God. I am a big, big God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can lose sight of the fact that, that my God is a great big God. Can you forget that sometimes? Oh, I just don't know how we're going to pay the power bill. Oh, I, I just don't know how this is going to work out, you know, with getting the car fixed. Oh, I'm, I'm just not sure if, if our kid will get that space in, the, in school. Oh, Lord, I don't. And sometimes I can forget just how powerful God is. If he can part the Red Sea and the Israelites, over one million of them, walk across on dry land, he can take care of my electric bill. Amen? You believe that? Sometimes I forget that God is big. And in my prayers, I pray small prayers because I believe in a small God. Now, if you ask me, do you think God's powerful? Of course he is, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to say that. But sometimes the, the prescription changes just enough that I, I lose focus of just how big my God is. And, and he's not big because I think he is. He's not big because I love him. He's not big because I follow him. He's big and powerful because that's who he is. In fact, the first word for God in the book of Genesis is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's a plural because God is so big and mighty and strong. And he's going to remind Moses of this over and over. And maybe this morning you are in a crisis of faith. Maybe there's something that you're really struggling believing God for. And what you need to bring into focus this morning, what you need to be reminded of is your God is a great big God, he's powerful, and nothing is too hard for him. And so, uh, as followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God. I think sometimes the world is turned off by Christians because we act like we serve a wimpy God, and we don't. Amen? Jesus rose from the dead. We just sang about it. We serve a powerful God. 
But secondly, we see this in the text. As followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God, but we also serve a personal God. Uh, We also serve a personal God. And we see this in two ways in this passage. And I absolutely love it. So Moses sees the bush. He sees that it's burning. He's like, wow, that's weird. I'm going to go check that out. And then this happens, and it's verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, 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 Moses. Here's the point. I love this. God knew him by name. God knew him by name. Moses didn't know the Lord. Moses didn't know hardly anything about him. In fact, we'll see in just a minute, he had to ask him what his name was. And yet, before Moses ever knew God, God knew Moses by name. Look at the person beside you and say, God knows you by name. Go on, tell him. Isn't that great? That good news? I don't see anyone upset with that truth. It just makes you smile, doesn't it? That the mighty, all-powerful God of the universe. See, listen, if he was just powerful and incredibly strong, but didn't know us by name, I would be terrified of him. But here's the thing. He's big and powerful and strong, and he knows me by name. He knew me when I was in my mother's belly. He knew me. The Bible says that in Psalms, doesn't it? David said, when I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. God knows your name. Right now, every person in Gainesboro, he knows them by name and he knows the number of hairs on their head. And he is powerful and he loves them. He's not just powerful, but he's personal. And and, and then Moses, who, uh, as you read on in Exodus, has a lot of reasons not to go do this job, right? He'll say, I don't know your name. He'll say, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Um, I kind of stutter when I talk. And so he has a lot of excuses and God meets all of them. And, and then he, he says, but I don't, I don't know your name. What do I tell people, right? And so verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. All right. Uh, sometimes uh, I can forget that God has a name because I just call him God. God is, is what he is, but he has a name. Like, I, I wouldn't call Pastor Matt man. Like, oh, man. Like, I would call him by name. He has a name, right? And so this is the first time in the Bible, this is the first occurrence where God reveals his personal name. And, and we don't know exactly how we pronounce it, but most people in Hebrew would say Yahweh. And so in your Bible, whenever you see the word Lord, and it's all capitalized. In the Old Testament, it's the word Yahweh. It's God's name. Now, we see that word in the book of Genesis, but he never tells anyone that's his name. It's not till right here. And so this might sound insignificant, but, but buckle up and hold on because it's really important. He never told his name to Abraham. He never told his name to Isaac, to Jacob. They never knew God's name. Moses is the first one where he says, you want to know my name? is Yahweh. And it's the relational name of God, right? So, for example, on my birth certificate, my name is Kenneth, right? It's on my passport, Kenneth, which, by the way, I looked up, means handsome. <coughs> Come on, yeah? <laughs> my, mom, my mom also had eye problems, apparently, when she named me as a child, right? So, if, if someone doesn't know me, 
they might call me Kenneth, but if they know me, they call me Kenny. So my son, Max, his name is Maxwell. When he was in school, teachers might call him Maxwell. If he's in trouble at home, his parents might call him Maxwell. But when you know him and love him, you call him what? Max. That's exactly what the Lord does here. It's beautiful. He says, I want you to know what you can call me because we love each other. I want you to call me Yahweh. And so I, I want us to be reminded of this, guys, that we serve a powerful God, but I want you to be reminded that in Jesus, we serve a God who knows our name and he loves us and he desires nothing more than relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, sometimes I forget that if I skip a day and don't pray and read my Bible, God missed me. It's not about me ticking boxes and keeping rules. It's about a relationship. He loves spending time with me. And so uh, maybe you need to bring back into focus that God loves you. Maybe you find yourself in a stage of life like me before where you might be wondering, God, if you loved me, why is this happening? God, if you love me, why is this going on with my kids? Like, Lord, if you love me, why is this happening in our marriage? Like, if you love me, Lord, why is this happening in our finances? And, and I want you to be reminded that God is powerful, but he is personal, and he knows you, and he loves you. And if we ever doubt the love of God, we look no further than the cross. Because the Bible says, greater love has no man than it lays down his life for another. How do I know Jesus loves me? Because he died on the cross for my sin. And he died on the cross for yours. And I could go to uh, High Street, Gainesboro, or City Center, Birmingham, anytime today, and with confidence, I could boldly proclaim to every person there, Jesus loves you. And how do I know it? Because he died for your sins. And so we serve a God who is big and powerful, and we serve a God who is personal, right? Um, uh, we, we sing a lot of kids' songs. That, that tell us these truths. Sometimes they're the most powerful. And so, what's the song? I knew I'd forget it, Christy. Um, my God is so big. No, 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 no. Hold on. He's, he's higher than a skyscraper. He's deeper than a submarine. You know that song. You're acting like you don't. You know that song. You've cranked it out of Gainesville before, haven't you? So, uh, he's higher than a skyscraper, deeper than a submarine, right? But then you get to a part of the song that says, and he knows me and he loves me. That song, I knit these two first points from that song, right? Like we're teaching our kids that God is big and powerful, but he knows you and he loves you. We need to bring that back into focus. Thirdly, uh, we see this, guys, that as followers of Jesus, we serve a powerful God, a personal God, but then thirdly, as followers of Jesus, we serve a perfect God. We serve a perfect God and uh, we see this in verses five and six. So he calls out to Moses. Moses is going over to the bush to see what's going on. The Lord calls him by name and then he says this. He says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. Interesting enough, by the way, it's not the word Yahweh there. Right? It's the word God. It becomes significant. At this point, he, he doesn't know God's name. And so he's fearful of this God he doesn't know. Right? But he's about to learn who he is and everything will change. 
And so he says, uh, don't draw any closer, for the place you are standing is holy ground. We, we, we need to bring back into focus, you and I have a powerful God, we have a personal God, but then we have this perfect God. He is holy, and this is what this means. God never makes a mistake. God never has to say, I'm sorry. God never has to go back and fix anything. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is perfect. Now, I will confess in my humanness, sometimes it takes a lot of faith to hold on to that. Because sometimes I look at things in my life and I see things that the Lord does and I think, God, how can this be perfect, Lord? How can this be good and right? And yet I know by the authority of God's word that all he does is perfect. He is holy. And we take confidence in that. We hold on to that fact. Because again, if he was just powerful, uh, if he was just powerful and personal, better. But what if he was powerful and personal but could make mistakes? Right? But the fact that he's powerful, he's personal, and he's perfect. He is holy. And we, he'll say this in Leviticus, and Peter will say it again in 1 Peter. He, he'll command us, he'll say, be holy, for God is holy. And so God's people, we are called to be holy. Now, we immediately have a problem, don't we? Because none of us have the capacity to be perfect. And so how do we live a holy life? Well, it's very interesting what the word holy means. It means to be set apart for use. To be set apart for use. To be made usable. And so when the Bible says that you and I are to be holy, it means that, that we allow God to root those things out of our heart, out of our life. And we allow God to do his work by the power of the Spirit to make us usable for his kingdom and his glory. Uh, when we lived in America, we, uh, we had um, a bit of land that was surrounding our house. And so uh, to, to cut the grass, to mow the lawn, uh, I had a riding like tractor to do it. And, uh, and, and every year, about this time of year, about March, coming into about March, I would take our riding lawnmower, our tractor, and I would take it to a repair shop. And they would take it apart, they would change the belts, they would sharpen the blade, they would change the oil, they would do all of these things, and they would get it back to me in a couple of days, and it looked brand new, and it was now ready to do the job for which it was created. And that was to cut grass. And, and so, uh, what they would do is they would take it aside, get it ready to be used for the purpose that it was created. That is the meaning of holiness. God takes you and I, he sets us aside by his spirit, through his word. He changes us, he equips us, and makes us ready to do the work that he's called us to do. The Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we reap life. What that means is, is like we can try to serve God in our own strength and power, but no good thing will ever come of it. But when we are changed and transformed and equipped by the Spirit through the Word. God works in us and through us that those in Gainesboro may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's the end game, amen? That's the end game that disciples would be made here in Gainesboro and, and healthy local churches might be multiplied. And we'll never be smart enough, spiritual enough, or funny enough to make that happen. It's only by being set apart by God and being changed and equipped by him that that task can be done. And that's what it means to be holy. And so we serve a God who is powerful, personal, perfect. He makes no mistakes. And then he makes us as he is that he might work in and through us. But then finally, we see this, 
that as followers of Jesus, we serve a preserving God. We serve a preserving God. Uh, God's people have been in slavery, as I said, for about 360 years. And, and God has taken notice of this. And look what he tells Moses. He says, the Lord, now there's, see, remember we ended with God and now the Lord, that's Yahweh, right? So Yahweh said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God says this. He says, I am powerful. I am personal. I am perfect. And I'm a God who desires to save a people for myself, to preserve a people for myself. The Egyptians will not be left to ruin, but I will preserve them. Uh, the Israelites will not be left to ruin, but I will preserve them, bring them out of Egypt and save them to myself. And we know that in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, we know John 3.16, right? For God sent his one and only son. That we, we know John 3.16. But John 3.17 says, For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. We serve a God who is a saving God. Amen, church? And his heart is that everyone in Gainesville would come to know him and love him and follow him for all eternity. That's his heart. The Bible says, choose you this day who you will serve, right? That, that, that the gospel message would go out, right? And so uh, we serve a God who is a preserving God. And so again, I, I, I can sometimes lose a bit of focus. And sometimes I can become so absorbed with my own problems Sometimes with my own successes, with my own life, that I can lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And that he's called you and I to be a part of that task. Amen. That we might proclaim the gospel in our workplace, in our schools, on the high street, with our neighbors. That we love them well, we serve them well, and we faithfully proclaim the goodness of God that they too may become children of God. He says here, so I've come down to rescue them, to rescue them. Uh, maybe most of us have seen this past week the footage from Turkey, the aftermath of the earthquake. And maybe you saw in the news uh, where there was uh, a baby girl who was born in the rubble. She was literally born in the rubble. And if you've seen the video clips where they're able to pull this newborn baby out of the rubble, and on one of the videos, you can hear people cheering and, and the rescuers start dancing and celebrating and, and holding and hugging by the hundreds. Like everything just stopped and as they pulled this baby out, they just began to celebrate because a life had been rescued. And the Bible says that when one sinner on earth is saved, the angels in heaven celebrate. And I thought about that when I saw that clip and I thought, you know, every, every time someone comes to Jesus, it's just like, I wonder if just everything in heaven stops 
And they begin to dance and hug and celebrate and worship the Lamb because Jesus came. Is he powerful? You better believe it. He walked on water. Is he personal? He called every disciple by name. Was Jesus perfect? The Bible says he was tempted in every way as a man, yet without sin. But lastly, church, our Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. I pray this day, if maybe your prescription spiritually needs a little tweak, maybe you just need to come to the Lord and say, yeah, Lord, I've, I've kind of, in my anxiety, I forgot how powerful you are. Lord, you know, in this time of difficulty, I forgot that you know me by name. Lord, I've been playing around with sin. And Lord, I need to be reminded you've called me to be holy. But lastly, Lord, I've been praying for my neighbors for so long, it seems like nothing ever comes of it. And Lord, I feel like giving up. Maybe today you just need to be reminded that, hey, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And that includes those you love and care for. And maybe you don't know this Jesus yourself. And pray before we leave this morning as we pray and worship again that you'll speak with Pastor Matt and that he can share with you how you too can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me, let me pray over that and then I'll hand it back to, uh, to Pastor Matt. Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Jesus, that you are powerful We thank you, Jesus, that you are personal. You know us by name. We thank you that you are perfect. You never change. You never make a mistake. So we can trust you. And Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and save that which is lost. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.